Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers the word. My name is Tim, and I am the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, and Stratford, I'm... Ontario, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> and I'm Marshall. Hi, Marshall. Hi, Tim. Marshall, the other Morden. The other Morden. The safety net. Yeah, anyways. That's an inside joke for... <laughs> People that probably don't even listen to the podcast. <laughs> There's like maybe 15 people who, who can get that <laughs> joke, and two of them are sitting here. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. We're still waiting on that baby to arrive. By the time this drops, we could have another child, <laughs> which is a weird concept to consider. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So we're. Yeah, in. that just made me think we should probably record a couple of these this week. We probably should. I mean, we have to record two. At least, yeah. we're a little behind, but yeah. we should probably knock out some. Yeah, we could sure do one a day. Sure, why not? Let's just set the bar high. I'm so glad we brought everyone in on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the inner workings of the podcast. Question number 31. 31. Number 31. What do we believe by true faith? Mm. So the last episode, we talked about what is true faith. Mm-hmm. It's believing to the degree that it affects your actions and your thinking. Yep. Not just giving a nod to a possible truism. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are the things that we believe? Interestingly enough, the first word is everything. <laughs> in in what the uh in, in what the catechism is going to say. First we got to talk about those things the way some people have chosen to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we wouldn't jive with. Yeah. I think the first problematic response to this question would be, you know, what when we ask, what do we believe by true faith? It's, well, whatever you believe to be true. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? It's this kind of, the, this definition of your own truth. Um, it's very broad. It's very vague. Um, based on your own personal preferences and feelings, right? Yeah, and, you get it, like this whole thing is such a big deal right now, my truth versus your truth. And ugh, gross. Yeah, it's so weird because at that point it's not truth, it's just preference. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because and, here's the thing, so if we just have this vague notion of what faith in Jesus is, I mean, ultimately that can just mean like a thousand different things, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that that is what we are called to as believers, particularly when we understand the fact that we are not just called to a faith that is individual, but one that is also corporate, right? right? In our hyper individualistic mm-hmm. uh, Western culture, you know, everything's kind of about me and my own little thing I got going on with God, which there is that aspect. Sure. Like totally. Uh, there needs to be that personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, but there is a, a, a common calling and there needs to be some some degree of uh, consistency amongst those who are one with Christ. Right? Yeah, and, and I would say not consistency just for conformity's sake. No. Right? Like, like no. there's sometimes you get consistency where people are like, well, nobody really knows, but we're going to go with this just because right. it helps us all get along. Sure. Um, that's not the point, right? So, so truth 
is often described in terms of enlightenment and revelation. Mm. Both of those words broken down to reveal or to shine a light on, right? One means a veil is removed. Another one means what was darkened is now lit. Mm. In both instances, the word picture being created for us is to see things as they are. Right. Not as we would like for them to be. Right. Right? The point of the lighthouse is not because, oh, wouldn't it be pretty here in a painting? Yeah. The point of the lighthouse is this is where the danger is. Yeah. And there's, so a moving lighthouse is a dangerous thing. Yeah, there's there's the uh, the age-old analogy of a bunch of, you know, blind people who are um, describing an elephant. Mm-hmm. And the one has the tail, and the one has the trunk, and the one's on the side, and the one touches the leg. And they all come to different conclusions of what it is that they're describing. Um, and they're all different because they're all coming to a different side of it. But the reality is, do we believe that we were blind and now we see. Right. Right? If all of those blind people were miraculously given the ability to see, then they would all come to realize very quickly that it is indeed an elephant and not a rope or a hose or a whatever, the the various things that they, those people might have come to um, when they couldn't see. Yeah, Paul talks about it in Ephesians, not to continue in, in the same sins that you did when you were living in darkness, mm-hmm. when you were living in ignorance. Yeah. Right? Uh, but the idea, yeah, the idea that, that what do we believe by true faith, it, it just means be passionately given to whatever it is you want to be true. That's something that kind of came along with postmodernism yeah. that has been around now for so long that it just feels like what people have always said. Yeah. And so it's pretty widely accepted. Mm-hmm. Although I think we're coming out of that. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, no, I think you're. And I think, I, you're I think that's. I think that's a good thing for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, there's a lot of experimentation in what that means. Um, I, and I, I think, not to get too. Post mill. Just do it. But I, I think I think we're gonna I think we're gonna find opportunities for revival in coming years as we kind of work our way through it. Mm-hmm. Also, opportunities for persecutions. Sure. Um, but the two kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, I agree. So on the other end of the spectrum of that answer is this idea that what we mean by true faith is those who believe everything in the exact manner that I do. Yep. Even the most minor of issues, right? Your, your interpretation on every difficult passage— if or, I if I had a dollar for every church that says we don't deal with theologies and interpretation, we just take the Bible for what it says. <laughs> every one does that. Yes, unless you're Thomas Jefferson, who just rips those pages literally out. edited his Bible. <laughs> um, yeah. Most every church does that. Sure, the truth is. As you read it and you say, well, this is what it says, you have then interpreted and mm-hmm. are applying your theology. Yeah. Uh, so it is an empty statement to say we just take the Bible for what it's worth, for what it says, because yeah. so are people that disagree with you. Yeah. They're interpreting it differently. Yeah. And what you mean is we agree with ourselves. <laughs> right. And we don't agree with you. Right. 
I mean, there are like, because here's the thing, like these churches say, well, well, we just believe the Bible. We just believe, I, I just believe what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And, 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 and we do live in a world, we do exist in a world where there are groups that call themselves Christians that blatantly disregard scripture. Right. Right. Like significantly in significant sure. ways. But there are also lots of Christians that would say the same thing, that would stand on that same truth and would come to different conclusions about some of these difficult passages or when it comes to these kind of theological systems that don't really exist um, fully baked in Scripture but that people kind of use to understand it. We've talked in the past about Calvinism, Arminianism. Mm -hmm. Both people in those groups are going to say, well, no, I just believe what the Bible says. Sure. Right? And they're both saying that, like, truthfully, right? Yeah, Um, yep. So, so we understand that there there is a there is a limit to how precise we are going to require this definition to be. Right? There are some mysterious parts of Scripture. Here's an analogy for you. Okay, I got go. one. All right. Mm. It's almost as if we have been handed an inerrant and flawless revelation of truth mm-hmm. in Scripture. Yet we read it as through. A mirror dimly lit. Right. <laughs> like a dirty window. Right. Which means there are going to be portions for which those truths do remain a mystery to us. And there will be portions that we're able to see. When, when you look through a clouded window, I mean, you can tell the difference between light and dark. Mm. Right? That's obvious. Sure. It is a basic. Yeah. You can tell if something on the other side is moving or not moving. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a basic rough outlines, shapes. There, there are things that can be figured out. Oh yeah, you could tell that maybe that there's a person on the other side of that dirty window. Mm-hmm. You might not know what color their eyes are. Right, right. And so those are the things that we're talking about. That's where that's where you have to be able to say no. There are definitive truths that we stand by, primary doctrines that we will not negotiate. Mm-hmm. But there are also places where we can agree, even if we claim one interpretation over another, that there's a level of confusion or or opportunity for misinterpretation. Right. The last time someone said, we know definitively what God is about to do, and there is no way for us to say that there is any opportunity for some of these things to go differently than we perceive, completely missed the boat mm-hmm. when Jesus came right. the first time. Right. Because they had it so set in their head that they knew and that they knew perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, think, I, think, I think sometimes people can become worried when they hear opportunity for confusion or things aren't entirely settled. Or when they hear their pastors saying, we don't have to take a hard stand on this, they start thinking, oh my goodness, are we falling into liberal theology, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think this is actually a guard against it. Right. I think understanding where you have to stand firm mm-hmm. and also understanding well where there is space is the way to keep balance. Yeah. Yeah, knowing what hills to die on, right? Yep. Doing that, that, you know, theological triage and determining what what is what is primary what's secondary what's tertiary we don't want to get to a place where 
you know, we view everyone who doesn't perfectly line up with us on absolutely every issue as not really having true faith. Right. Right. Um, and oh man, does it happen. Oh man. And on, on, on things that really are not, sometimes we, it's so funny how sometimes we can get this totally backwards. Like we can, we glaze over serious theological issues and then something that's somewhere, you know, someone's in a different spot than we are on something very minor. And suddenly, you know, we're throwing the H word around uh, heretic like it's going out of style. And it's just we have to we have to make sure we keep our 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 focus um, on the right on the right things, I guess. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of the church community is very vocally against cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I think we invented it. <laughs> I think we invented cancel culture. Um, I, I think that denominations exist for good reason. Mm. And I think the church is healthier for denominations um, because we're able to focus more primary and secondary things mm-hmm. and not be divided by tertiary things. Mm-hmm. But man, we eat our own. Oh, yeah. And we do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to be careful of that. Yeah, the whole... What do we believe by faith being I'm set where I am and everyone who isn't set with me is off. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we come to the catechism's answer. It is long. It's too long, man. It's long and I'm tired. You want to read it? Yeah, sure. (laughs) So to the the question... (laughs) You sounded so exhausted by yeah, because I'm not tired, Tim. I have no, I've, I'm not tired at all, man. I just preached three times this today, and yeah, I'm not tired. Um, okay, just read it. <laughs> what do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the gospel. The Apostles' Creed expresses what we believe in these words. We believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the uh, Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. All right. The Apostles' Creed. First, Apostles' Creed does not mean that Paul and Peter and Matthew and John all got together with the rest of them Mm -hmm. and wrote this. That's correct. That is not what it means. No. This is not inspired and inerrant in the same way that their writings for Scripture are. Right. Because this came about, you know, one or two generations removed from the apostles. Right. Put together by people who maybe studied directly under apostles or under mm-hmm. those who were directly under the apostles. So just yep. so that is to say a challenge to the Apostles' Creed is not a challenge to Scripture itself. And we want to lay that foundation well before we challenge the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, there are some, yeah, there's a couple There's a couple things. Right. So in, in the same way, we started out from the very beginning saying just because it's a catechism doesn't mean that it's inerrant. Right. And when we disagree, we're not going to shy away from that yeah. and say, I think this could be said differently. Mm-hmm more carefully. We've done that all along, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think we went on a little season where we did that maybe too often, right. but and mostly me. <laughs> I'll wear that. Uh, but there are some some things inside the Apostles' Creed that I would point out mm-hmm. to say um, you don't have to take the Apostles' Creed and just be like this is this is basically perfect theology summed up mm-hmm. for everyone. Uh, I, from the very beginning, God the Father, Maker of heaven and earth. By the way, I can't read the Apostles' Creed without singing it. <laughs> because in the eighties, on the Beyond Belief album, Petra just did an amazing song from this. Cool. And so I always sing it in eighties soaring falsettos <laughs> with electric guitars. Uh so God the Father as maker of heaven and earth. John one, mm-hmm. Colossians one. Mm-hmm recommend to us that we should understand Jesus as the creator. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that is in correspondence with the rest of the Trinity or an act specific to Jesus Mm. could be talked about. Mm. But to say God the Father himself and, and only is the creator. Yeah, what's implied is that the Father is unique amongst the, right. in the Trinity, in his creative action. And we know from Scripture that that is not the case. At the very least, we know that um, the Son was, uh, we, John 1, right? N- nothing was, or without him, nothing was made that was made. Right. Right. So so, so it's, it's not necessarily wrong, but it could lead us in, a, in an unhealthy distinction mm-hmm. between Father and Son in regards to creation. Right, because this portion this portion of the creed, its purpose is to define the three persons of the Trinity and their distinct roles. Right. And so to throw creator in with the Father, you know, I mean, who am I to argue with 2,000 years of Christian tradition, but I just did. <laughs> uh, second one. You brought this one up. You want to take it? Yeah, so we, we skipped down a little bit further because i mean everything kind of in the next couple phrases is pretty pretty solid the next phrase that that i i take some exception with is um in regards to christ that he descended into hell um that is i think problematic Mm -hmm. now now whether or not christ actually went to hell itself um at some point in that three-day period where he was buried um, has been debated. I, I, would, I would argue that he was not in hell. I would agree. Yeah. And, and here's my reasoning for it. The word sheol is used throughout the Old Testament to describe a universal place of the dead. Mm-hmm. The righteous or the unrighteous, right. all go to Sheol. Right. The New Testament talks about it in a similar universal place, mm. with two compartments, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous. A singular place, two compartments. Yep. A place of the dead, one room for the righteous, one room for the unrighteous. And then after the judgment, hmm. 
after the final judgment, the resurrection, the final judgment, then we have the new heavens and the new earth mm. and hell. So the distinction between hell and Hades, Hades is more the universal divided into two compartments. Hell is the place, the lake of fire after the judgment, the forever place mm. for the, those apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. In the King James Version of the Bible, hell is used universally to be the place of the unrighteous yeah. before or after the judgment. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way it's written in the Greek. Right. And it creates a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Now, this was written way before English was Making use of translations. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's way before 1611. Oh, yeah. So it's going to predate by a thousand plus years. Yeah. Uh, the King James Bible. So what we're dealing with then is a translation from Koine Greek, which is the exact same Greek as the Bible's written in. The New Testament, anyway. Or the New Testament. And so that gives us the opportunity to flex our seminary muscles. That's right. To make use of those thousands and thousands of dollars spent on education mm-hmm. and say, well, what does the Greek say mm-hmm. outside of studying of the New Testament? It doesn't say either Hades or hell. Yeah. Doesn't use, yeah, that word or... or Katotata. Katotata. Yeah. Which is an awesome word in and of itself. Just phonetically brilliant. Katotata. Yeah. And it just, it's it's not even a noun. Yeah. It's it's a descriptive, an adverb or an adjective. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just means the underneath, the yeah. down. It, it could be easily translated the grave. Yeah. And you can see where in, in a King James world and things universally being funneled into all those things being hell, mm-hmm. that that becomes the thing. I think you and I would agree, probably a poor translation. Yeah. Being the scholars that we are in ancient Greek <laughs> um, could be better translated. He was dead and buried mm-hmm. to the place of the dead, yeah. the grave, um, and, and rose again. Yeah. Whether or not that is distinctly hell, I, I think that there are even heresies, at best heterodoxy, mm-hmm. that are created by that concept of yeah. Jesus going specifically to hell. And as you mentioned earlier, there's even an opportunity that hell doesn't exist yet. Yeah. That hell is a place that will be created after the judgment mm-hmm. for those who will be there. Right. Um just like our eternal our eternal destination is not yet completed. The, right. the place of our eternal destiny is not yet completed. The same is true for the unrighteous. And so there is like you said, the the Bible talks about there being this um, the grave, and there's different words used, but the, the the specific words that exist in the Greek for hell, neither one is used in the original Apostles' Creed. Right. So I I find it an unfortunate translation, and one that um, I don't know. I just don't know why people don't talk about it more. Yeah. So I would say this portion, Jesus going to hell, is an unfortunate translation of something that I can affirm. Mm-hmm. The first is an unfortunate uh, application of the concept of creation distinctly to the Father 
<laughs> that I think I would not confirm. Yeah. I think and it's it's implied if not made explicit. But yeah, but it's still it's an it's an issue. Yeah. Or could potentially be an issue. Right. If we fail to look at the whole breadth of what scripture has to say about creation. Now that we have lit the apostles creed on fire <laughs> for people listening that are, are now staring off into the abyss wondering who they are and what is truth. Um, I would say arguably those things are relatively relatively minor in the effect that they have on the apostles creed as a whole. Yeah. Uh, what is what is taught in the gospel? Hold on, I gotta do this one too. Okay. <laughs> the gospel is not the Apostles' Creed. Right. And here they assume the gospel and the Apostles' Creed is summed up in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. But that's not true. This is a statement who on whom the person of God is, the three persons mm-hmm. of the Godhead. The gospel is that we were sinners incapable of of self-salvation. Mm-hmm. Yet, this God described here suffered and died on my behalf that those in him would remain in him and mm-hmm. be restored with his new creation. Right. That's the gospel. Mm-hmm. This is a description of the persons of God. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, right, that the creeds, as we know them, these historical creeds, were written with the purpose of defending against the contemporary false teachings of the day. Mm-hmm. So early on, dealing with Gnosticism, right, right which rejected um, the humanity of Christ, um, that he was actually born, that he actually could suffer, that he actually could die, those types of things were, were, were prominent um, problems that the early church was facing, in a sense, the creeds were written as a means of defending against those things and saying churches that hold to this truth will stand are are able to to stand firm. Or this is a tool that churches can use to stand firm against that negative outward influence. It is not this full unpacking of all of the gospel truth, mm-hmm. right? So I, I I would agree with you there. It's like they kind of they kind of switch gears, gospel, and then suddenly they're going to a creed that doesn't really unpack the, the gospel. So Yeah, so so I would say if I was if asked to write question thirty one <laughs> for the second edition, which is possible, but never going to happen. Probably not gonna happen. More more likely for you than for me. Probably not. <laughs> um <laughs> It's more probable in sort of like a theory of multiverse where you get into like exponentially increasing numbers behind decimal points kind of a thing. Uh, I I think I would just strip it down and say, what do we believe by true faith? Mm -hmm. That Jesus Christ is the word of God revealed to us in form, Mm -hmm. uh, the form of man. And that the Bible, in its 66 books, is inspired and perfectly preserved in its original autographs. Mm. Um, And those are the things that we cling to, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That would be 
a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. And I think more effective. Yeah, I mean, what I kind of thought was, you know, in all of these questions, we're dealing with different aspects of the faith, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about who God is, and we've talked about what sin is, and we've talked about, you know, what atonement is and all these things. It almost seems to be um, an unnecessary question in the mix, to be honest with you, because, mm, yeah, right? Because like that's what the whole catechism is, is what do we believe by true faith? I agree. That's the purpose. Of, that's the question behind every, every question. So, anyways, but it was, yeah, like that. But, but you know, who am I to, yeah, I, who I am I to cast dispersions at uh, Tim Keller? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would be more bibliocentric. Sure. No, and that's. I think um, that was a good answer too. And and yeah, no, I, I see. Oh my goodness, how Canadian am I? I'm officially Canadian. I just said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I know you're still waiting on your official papers, but I it's welcome true. I welcome you now. It's true. Uh, I I think I, I see your point on the fact that the whole of the catechism is the answering of this question. Uh, I I think that even the catechism itself will go beyond that because we'll talk about secondary things. Yeah, I guess not. You're right. Not essentially primary things like what is baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, but these first that this catechism is catechism is divided into three sections i would say at least these first two um are really a summation of this um Mm -hmm. so i I definitely get where you're coming at so what we've done is this in in 29 minutes and 35 seconds we have told people that they didn't need to listen to this podcast or (laughs) read this section (laughs) that is not how you build listenership. We've also critiqued the Apostles' Creed, one of the, the longest right. held extra biblical foundational things yeah. of the church. So here's the here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for those of you that are like, every good lesson needs a what do I do about this now? The whiffum, what's in it for me? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. you gotta have the application and the takeaway, or else it's it's a waste of your time. <laughs> so here's the application, the takeaway. Marshall and I are arrogant. <laughs> Goodness. Be- beyond any right in questioning things that have been uh, held widely and firmly. Um, and also, you've wasted now 30 minutes and 31 seconds of your time <laughs> on this question. But you should still tune in next week. Yes, please. Please do. When we talk about what do justification and sanctification mean. That'll be a good conversation. Those are great. I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to sink our teeth in. I think people should hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Not give up on us. (laughs) Please don't give up on us. Until then, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel (sighs) Coalition of Canada, at least for now, and is produced (laughs) by Alex Walker. Goodbye, everybody.